Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Weekend Managing Madrid podcast is your host, Gabe Lezra, and I am joined um, by Kian Sobani. Kian, um, welcome to the show. Good to talk. Thank you. Glad to be able to, you know, actually record with you and not separately. It's it's nice. Yeah, I was I listening to your podcast, which was excellent, by the way, the FFP PSG stuff, which everyone should listen to. But I kind of, I was driving in the car listening and I was like, you know what? I wish I was just there. But then I, I realized I would have had nothing to contribute to the discussion because you just, you 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 killed it it was amazing thank you um yeah if you're a patron you go check that out if you want to i did a about 20 minute rant about ffp trying to explain um what's going on and why um this rumor that phil phil shown today um uh on the during the broadcast real madrid game talked about how madrid might try to go get mbappe and why that's unlikely um also om omar vind um what's up did you get your head out of that uh garbage bin um rubbish bin (laughs) um yeah i'm safe and sound from from my my twitter battles today um (laughs) I it, it it was tougher than usual. Got got a couple scratches, bruises, but I'm I'm safe and sound to do the podcast with with you two today. Well, read us the tweet. Don't leave don't leave everybody hanging. We want to yeah, know dude. the context. All right, all right. So the, the the first goal came from a penalty, right? And like Asensio was the one who who drew it. So I thought it was slightly fortuitous because I think Asensio embellished a little bit of contact. Um, and so I tweeted out, uh, Asensio definitely dived, LOL, or something like that, to that effect. And the guy replies with, find a rubbish bin, put your head in, and come back after the game. You don't need to watch the game. No one is forcing you. So a totally normal <laughs> reaction, right? Um, that was interesting. After that, I tweeted a lot of positive things about Asensio, because especially in the second half, he played really well. And the guy just kept replying to me like, Oh, but he's a diver, right? Not up to your standards or something like that. It was it was interesting to say the least. And this is one of the reasons I love I love Twitter, social media so much. Like without these wonderful platforms, I will not have interactions like these on a daily basis. Yeah. I just want to shout out to all the awesome people um who appear to be having reg- very normal ones. Uh, I also, you know, in my own um uh, Twitter today. I uh, I just want to shout out the various people who tweeted Benzema can't score a goal at me. Thank you. You guys made my day. <laughs> <laughs> did shout you guys out to that guy if he's listening? You the you know King, come back. Did you guys know a rubbish bin is a real thing? Like it's. I thought I thought he he was just talking about a trash can that was rubbish, but it's 
if you Google rubbish bin, it's a it's a specific kind of bin. No way. It's a specific kind of bin. Yeah, it's a taller bin. So that's why he wanted you to stick your head in that one. So Keon, what you're telling me is there was a lot more thought to this to this reply than than I was giving credit <laughs> he may, for. He may be more intelligent than we're giving him credit for. Yes. <laughs> well, that guy's you know crushing it as usual. Um, so we're here to talk about Real Madrid's big win. I know I said big win last week and people were upset about it. Well, this one is definitely a big win. Four to one against Hirona. Um, Hirona playing a very good first half, I thought, guys. Yeah, I think um, the Matt Wilsey on Twitter said um, this is a game that we would have lost last season. I think he, I think he might have been right. I think the response in the second half was great. And... Uh, and kind of like the four-two-three-one is such a formation we've always talked about in the past in this podcast, how we all love it. But this is also why I always say that it's not so much about formation, it's about scheme. Because if you roll out a four-two-three-one and your double pivot is overwhelmed defensively in transition, it's just going to be difficult And if all the pieces aren't in the right places. And then the second half, at halftime, you he kind of, Lopetegui just makes subtle adjustments. I don't know. There wasn't like a huge schematic shift, but just little things like Asensio and Isco helping defensively while both of them actually playing more efficient with the ball changed everything to me. Um, yep. And Girona from that point, after a great first half where Porto, um, Granel and uh, Lozano all, all were great and dangerous, especially Porto on that right flank, just burning Marcelo a few times defensively. But once once we kind of just got our act together, we're a bit better on both ends of the field. The Girona's momentum just got sucked out of them. If you look at the XG in this game, it's insane. Um, yeah. Four expected goals, and the, the chart just escalates so quickly in the second half once we start piling on the goals. Um, the second half was great. It was a really good performance overall. Yeah, very good performance. I mean, obviously, it's buttressed by two penalties. Um, the second one, I thought, was extremely uh, just a terribly <laughs> dumb challenge. So that was that one I think we can com- comfortably take to the bank as a, certainly a penalty. There were, um, you know, a couple little chippy things in the area, but it did seem like Madrid's um, changes at halftime really sucked the wind out of Hirona's sails. And we, in fact, Real Madrid did lose last time they were at Girona um, last season. This is a tough. This is a tough um, place to play, guys, because in in addition to it being a very hostile uh, hostile group of, of fans, right? They hate Real Madrid there. Uh, it's also one of the smaller, uh, literally smaller pitch sizes pitch pitches in Spain. It's it's a it's a small pitch, and it reminds me a lot of um, I think Rayo Vallecano used to do a, have a pitch that was also pretty small, and it allows uh, teams to really shut down lines and 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 occupy more percentage and more space on the pitch to make it harder to break through. And that was, to me that made it even more impressive that when when Madrid actually did break through, uh, and and find you know throughout that second half more of those line breaking passes and actually, you know, control the ball closer and closer to Hirona's, uh, Hirona's net. Um, what did yeah. you see? Because I'm curious to know what your your thoughts were on this. Yeah, I, I think both your points generally are, are, are spot on. And I think to Gabe's, Gabe pointing out about how essentially the playing away to Hirona and, and, and how they play, like it, it, it's difficult for opposing teams. And I think there was a lot of talk beforehand about 
Pal Hirona are a different side because uh, they obviously have a new manager. Pablo Machin has gone on to manage Sevilla, had, did a brilliant job with Hirona. Now you have Eusebio Sacristan as a new Hirona manager. And th- there was a lot of talk about Sacristan being more offensive, and this was going to be a different Hirona this season. I, I think that's true. But the, the Hirona we saw today was very similar to the Hirona we saw that beat us last time when we played away last season essentially because of the fact that both times they pressed very high and they effectively suffocated our build-up. And I think that was really the theme of the first half, and it was something that, that we just couldn't figure out. And I, it, it was quite a problem. Um, there, there, there are several reasons for that. One, I think we just didn't look we just didn't look that sharp on the ball. I mean, that sometimes it's as simple as that, and I think that was a large part of it. Um, Isco... A lot of bad giveaways in the first half. Asensio wasn't looking too great, um, and and then and then it was also the fact that you have to give credit to the to the opposition. Hirona pressed very very well, especially in that first half. It was it was a four four two, very concentrated towards the ball side. So Real Madrid would build down the wing, usually down the right wing in that in that first half, especially the first like 15, 20 minutes, and Hirona would concentrate most of the players that side and, and and they'd have the winger who would be kind of near the center of the pitch ready to to sprint over to the other side when we switched play so it it was all very well done they had they had numbers close to the close to the to the area where they wanted to press they had access to the to to key spaces on the pitch and they were disciplined enough to shift from side to side and that was quite impressive to see um there was that and then also i think just Speaking to, to to Keon's point about formations, etc., and and scheme, I think we struggled with a Casemiro cross double pivot to advance against that press because Isco was the only one between the lines, and I think we had because in a four three three usually you have two you have two central midfielders that are pushed right. higher up the pitch, and that one gives you more options between the lines, and and. Especially for the Hetafe game, it essentially pinned Hetafe's midfield block towards the center and allowed us to switch play more easily. This game, it was really only Isco there, and the the objective very quickly became to to for Isco to shift from flank to flank. If you look at his heat map, he, heat map, he took very few touches in the center. We're all on the flanks. The objective was to use Isco on each flank to to build up down the wing. And that already is tougher than I think what we did against Hitafi, but it's still possible. Yeah. Except we just weren't playing, you know, that sharp. No one looked that great in the first half, and we struggled a lot. It took a perhaps fortuitous penalty to get us back in the game, and then after that, you know, we just kind of ran away with it. There were several key transitions where I thought Hirona would would counter press us, sort of win the ball, but then we do enough to win the 50-50 challenge, and then Gareth Bale and Karim Benzema were away on the counter attack, and then. We just quickly, you know, gave them, you know, it was almost like a double whammy with, with, with us, with their attack failing and then us scoring off, off, off of that. Like, it, it just killed them. And then, yeah, very quickly when it became to be one, the game was over. And I, I, that was impressive, but there's definitely work to do. But I think we need to win games like this. It can't always be perfect because it's going to take time for Lopetegui's philosophy to, to set in. And I think that the the change at halftime speaks to Lopetegui's. I think I mean it seemed to speak to Lopetegui's ability to, um, you know, instill in some a level of confidence in the players that they're going to get back into this game and and make tactical and 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 you know man management adjustments sort of on the fly like that. I was impressed. Um, it's a tough, 
it's tough to to it's it's weird and tough to have a team show two completely different faces in one game, and Madrid really did. I mean, I was I was thinking at, at you know in that first half that this team looked kind of gassed, that they were tired, that they you know maybe weren't quite up to the, uh, up to speed yet, and I I I don't think that's what was going on now, you know. But but after mm-hmm. that first half, I was I was like you know thinking these these players a lot of whom played in the world cup must really just not be rested and not really be prepared to do this because I mean, I think Casemiro especially who, and we can talk about him now if you guys are interested. I mean, like he, especially I thought had a, had quite a bad game um, in doing the stuff that he normally does. He was, a he, he just didn't seem, I mean, he was overrun defensively in that first half. And then when he, Madrid had the ball, it seemed clear that Hirona wanted to trigger that press by just smashing in and, and going after Casemiro whenever he had the ball deep. In uh, that, well, it showed off his uh, the only main weakness in his game, which is doing exactly what Madrid needed him to do, which is hang on to the ball and 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 progress the ball between the lines and 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 move it out of defense. Basically, uh, that was a big weak point, I think, for Madrid, <laughs> yeah. even in the second half. I yeah, I would like to talk about Casemiro because I think it touches on a lot of other tactical things that I didn't mention. I was mainly talking about Real Madrid in possession, so that's 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 one part of it that I'll get back to. Um, but quickly, let me just talk about the counter press and, and Casemiro getting overwhelmed on defensive transition. So that was another thing that that today I was disappointed not to see. And really, I'm talking about the first half because the second half the counter press came back, and I think that was the main change Lopetegui made. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a schematic reason for why it wasn't there in the first half, but I just think Asensio and Isco just weren't that interested in putting in the defensive shift that they needed to. And also, again, with with the the, the inverted, or, or not the inverted, sorry, the V-shape that you get in a 4-3-3 with the midfield gives you two central midfielders to guard the half spaces when you're... So you set it... Because when you counter-press, you set it all up in possession... So you create your structure so that when you lose the ball, you can immediately collapse towards an area that you need to. You don't set up in defense after you lose the ball because that's how you get cut apart. And that was an issue we had under Zidane last season. And I think the thing was is that because we had Kroos and Casemiro generally so deep, it was mainly Isco trying to guard all those spaces and someone else needed to kind of come inwards and help him. And Asensio was the guy who did that in the second half, and that helped a lot. But I think that's why Casemiro looked like he was overrun. There was also, the I think, the issue that Kian tweeted out. On the goal, I think it was, Kroos was jogging again. I yeah. mean, this, this is like his major weakness. Like, he just can't be bothered to track back in transition. And it's one of the biggest reasons I say I don't want him as a single pivot defensive midfielder long-term, even though he brings so many fantastic qualities there. And then back to Casemiro in possession. I mean, I thus far, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing a disconnect between what Lopetegui wants in his midfield, and 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 Casemiro's role within yeah. that side. I'm not, I'm not willing to write him off because Modric hasn't come back yet, and and the midfield is going to be Casemiro, Kroos, Modric. But right now, it, Casemiro is struggling. Like he's not progressing the ball in an effective manner. Um, today he was trying to drop in between the center backs whenever we were taking goal kicks, and I didn't see a single time where Navas fed him the ball. And in the second half, Kroos was coming like to the to the right-hand side of the box when Casemiro dropped deep, and Navas was just more interested in passing it off to Kroos instead. Like This idea that Casemiro doesn't play that significant role in distribution 
is is vulnerable with some of the passes and touches he makes under pressure, which we saw this game. It it's it's been borne out. We, we've seen this o- over time now, and Lopetegui has to figure out how he wants this whole thing to work. And I just don't think that it's happened yet. Obviously, it needs more time. It it'll probably look different when Modric and Kroos are both there to take up distribution duties on either side. But at the moment, that to me is the main issue that needs to be solved. Yeah. Kian, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I just want to, to everyone who's listening, just I know that a lot of there's there's this kind of narrative about us that we have this weird anti-Casimiro feeling or bias or, or, or agenda that we're pushing. Just FYI, we don't we're not pushing agendas. We don't have any amount of like, we don't have any clout. It doesn't matter if we have an agenda. We can't execute our agenda. That's that that's insane. So speak for yourself. Put, <laughs> put your head in a rubbish bin and. And, uh, <laughs> All right, Keon. Well, what's your agenda then? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know where to start. I, there's just a lot of great discussion going on right now. And um, I guess on on topic, Casemiro. It would be interesting if you just put him in the Getafe game, and and you wouldn't see any of this stuff because of just the manner of the way Getafe didn't really press that well. They were kind of in a deeper block. They were more organized, trying to cut off passing lanes in the middle. Um. And also, Real just like an otherworldly amount of possession in that game. You know, they had a lot of bo- the ball in this game too. But in in this particular game, I thought, I think Ohm kind of mentioned already why he suffered. But also just there were at least three occasions in my notes where he he just gave the ball away in, in a terribly dangerous area. And I and I felt like I wish just, just for those moments we had a timeout option where we could just be like, <laughs> hold on, Casemiro has the ball, timeout, timeout. Uh, run it back like let's just can we get a throw in can we replace him with somebody for one second it it really felt like he was uncomfortable uh, and Girona really like throughout the game um, especially in the first half but you know sporadically in the second half um, were very efficient in their pressing I thought you know as collectively we gave the ball away several times but Casemiro also looked looked quite quite uncomfortable and you know like some of the stuff really is not on him like you know if oh, you yeah. if you look at the first goal we conceded well the only goal we conceded um Casemiro really like he's just kind of like you feel bad for him because he's spread so thin he's covering two positions whereas Kroos really should have prevented that goal by jogging back um he should have sprinted yep. back and he he had a lot of time to close down Borja Garcia and prevent that goal um but also like you look at the entire like collective um, shape of the team and where is everybody really and uh, part of the reason why Casemiro also struggled to find outlets is because I felt like there was a bit of a disconnect um, where the front four really seemed like to emphasize just trying to play off the shoulder of the defensive line and act as an outlet and it looked fine and it was kind of fun because you saw Asensio, Bale and Benzema at times like two of them playing off the shoulder of the defensive line one of them dropping in behind the lines and kind of just rotating. And it looked kind of cool, but defensively, none of those four, and even Isco, who you would consider maybe as a third central midfielder, um, just based on past precedents, was even higher up than Asensio. And so that really made it difficult to defend counterattacks. Again, like a lot of that was just like simple tweaks. They both of them, both Isco and Asensio defended better in the second half and it looked way better. Um, But I think... It will be interesting. I, I really wonder what happens when Modric comes back because it's hard for me to see Isco sacrifice, or sorry, Lopetegui to sacrifice Isco. 
Um, yeah. And we've seen Kroos put in a masterclass against Katafe as the anchor. Now, you know, the caveat is like there are going to be teams who will not be Katafe, who will who will try to make that uncomfortable. I I I I am also interested to see what happens to Casemiro. Um, I yeah. I I mean, I, I, what I think is going to happen at least in the immediate future is Isco is going to go to the left wing, um, and Casemiro stays. I mean, I. So I think we need so to. You got, I think we, there's one someone you have to drop from the front three then. Yeah, it would probably be a sensio. Um, I, I think we have to also explain why, why we're saying that like this is something Lopetegui needs to figure out because it's not just because we've been what we've been saying about Casemiro with his distribution, the pressure. We've been saying that for a long time, and we won three Champions Leagues in a row with him as the main defensive right. midfield. So, I think it's. It, I think. The people listening deserve like to understand what is the distinction we're making here with Lopetegui. And I think with Zidane, what at least I'll just speak for myself here, what I was saying was that yes, it was problematic, but it was not problematic like to to the entirety of the scheme. Like there were there were positives and negatives, and the positives outweighed the negatives, and that Casemiro needed to be there, and Zidane's scheme was fine for it. Like it's just that the way Zidane incorporated him, Zidane's scheme with him had negatives, but it was part of Zidane's scheme. So right. what we essentially had was Kroos and Modric <laughs> dropping deep, Casemiro being this weird pseudo number ten, and it made it difficult to build through the middle. We'd figure out ways through the through the flanks. Kroos and Modric would work their magic, and we'd find our way to the final third, and we'd cross and 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 we'd attack that way. And there were weaknesses there, but we we always got over it. And Zidane was completely fine. Like his scheme was always very fluid, very adjustable. This was how he played. He didn't always need need the greatest amount of structure in his possession. He's not a positional play coach. And then there was the issue about like him under pressure. But again. Zidane would simply avoid that right by moving kind of Casemiro up the pitch. The, the reason this is an issue with Lopetegui and I, one that he really needs to solve be, is because Lopetegui plays in a different way than Zidane. Lopetegui is not going to be content with Kroos and Modric dropping really deep and Casemiro floating as this weird pseudo number 10. Like that, That's not how Lopetegui likes to structure his teams in possession. He he. If he's gonna play a three-man midfield with with a, a V shape, Casemiro is going to have to be the deeper player. Or if he's going to be an advanced player, he's gonna have to play his role as an interior on one side of the pitch, kind of like how Conte is adjusting himself under Maurizio Sarri with Chelsea. Yeah. And he is going to have to be involved in possession, maybe not as much as Kroos and Modric, but he's going to have to play his role because Lopetegui just doesn't want to like hide one side of the field. He he. He plays through all areas of the pitch. It's all neatly structured. And if it's fluid, there's interchange of position, but the structure changes the same. And under Porto, he utilized Casemiro often in a double pivot, more box-to-box, and that's kind of what he was trying here versus Hirona. So that's why I'm saying it. This is why I'm saying like it's really key he figures it out. It's not It's not simply a case like a Zidane you know, just putting him there and watching as as his his midfield did that. Lopetegui is a different kind of coach. He's more tactical. He wants things more structured, and and that's why yeah. there's a difference here. And that's why I think it could potentially affect this team more, which is why I say it's something that needs to be figured out. And I mean, I don't have I don't have the answers. I can't tell you it's going to fail. I can't tell you it's going to succeed. I can just tell you at the moment I see some issues that we'll we'll see how it works out. Well, it's right. one of those things that with Zidane. Um, 
his way of masking Casemiro's weakness in that in that role with the ball was to send him forward and and get Modric and Kroos to to kind of hedge back, right? And obviously that even had deeper repercussions, like especially in La Liga last season, where Modric and Kroos also sometimes weren't even in position either. They all three of them were high up the pitch, so like the the chaos that ensued in the domino defensive dominoes were were dramatic. With whereas with Lopetegui, like this is his this is what he wants to do, and you can either play that role or you can't. So. Can Casemiro essentially play that role? Because right. they're not going to start sending him up the field. And you can look at his heat map to confirm that today too. Because he was, he was, he was, he was the anchor, and like that's the role he's going to have to play. Can like can, yeah. and can he play it? I don't know. And you know, fundamentally, I think what's part of the part of the issue that's going on right now is it's pretty early days still, and uh, I I feel like Casemiro just he doesn't really have the pace. He just does not really up to pace right now. Like there's a level of decision making and. Uh, stamina and just you know thought process that you have to um, you have to have at a very very high level to appropriately guide the ball out of a out of a press and he hasn't played in a while he didn't play um, you know and, and he he just he needs you know he needs to have everything in his mind firing and thinking about that and making you know instant instinct level uh, decisions that it takes some time to build up and he's working on, you know, getting this aspect of his game. Obviously it's not there yet, obviously, but I, I also don't think it's, I think it's quite a bit too early to write him off as, as this role, or, I mean, I, I agree that there are definitely some concerns about it, but, uh, and there are concerns that we've had for a long time, you know, with his, with his style of play. But I also think that I believe that he will, uh, that he has it in him to, to fix this issue and to, get himself you know into a level where he can move the ball out of and and move the ball around effectively without us feeling like you said Kian that we need to take a time out whenever he gets the ball yeah and I don't want to I don't want to like spend too much time on this point um but amazingly I just forgot what I was going to say so I'm just, <laughs> just going to move on all right let's just move on then um so this I think that moving from Defense. I don't have that much much to say. I thought much like Casemiro. Oh, I just I just remembered. All right, go shoot, dude. Okay, so apologies for that, guys. But the reason, because like then I guess people would ask, and a lot of people have been asking me, why can't Lopetegui just dump Casemiro to the bench, right, and just play Kroos or Llorente there, or or whatever? And there's a reason that Lopetegui is trying all these games to fit Casemiro. He's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. He's the coach. He can bench whoever he wants. I mean, the only unbenchable player probably was Ronaldo and he's gone now. He's doing it because, and again, like when we make these comments about Casemiro, people tend to pretend like we don't see his positives. The reason he's doing this is for a very logical reason. is that Casemiro is by far the best defensive player on the squad and he provides a level of defensive insurance that N'Golo Kante is the only other guy that provides like an, an equal amount. And that is that is saying something. So like these guys are the two best defensive midfielders around on, on the defensive side of things. And and Casemiro certainly, like I said many times before, if when Brazil played Belgium in the World Cup and they got knocked out, I thought if Casemiro started that game, Brazil went through because I agree. Yeah. they were open in transition. The structure wasn't great. And in times like that, when the team isn't clicking defensively and you the tactics just aren't quite right, Casemiro will save you. So that, that's why Lopetegui is trying to figure it out. It, we're, we're not saying Casemiro doesn't offer anything. 
Because if he didn't offer anything, Lopetegui wouldn't spend this much time with him trying to figure out what is the best way to, to utilize him in the way that I want to play. He's trying to figure it out because if it works out, Casemiro is going to provide an amazing level of defensive insurance and he's going to protect against any mistakes that we make. I think maybe even Casemiro, like you said, Gabe, Casemiro wasn't up to pace yet because of the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. If Casemiro was up to pace, maybe he even stops that goal where Cruz was Cruz was jogging back. Yeah. So I mean, that's the reason. Like we're personally, I think we're we're tra- we're making a nuanced argument here about many things, and I just ask you to keep that in mind and at least be open minded about what we're saying because I understand why it gets emotional because this guy is a fantastic player, and he has a cult following for a reason, and it's because. He's provided Real Madrid with a level of defensive stability we haven't had in a long time. Or instead of any of that, you can just go on uh, on in the comments on this and just uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about how much we hate the the team and why. Like like the guy tells us to go throw ourselves in a rubbish bin or whatever. Um, I wanted to talk also about. Um, the change in the way the offense executed um, from one one half to the other, because in the first half there were definitely a lot of you know, moments that Madrid could have scored, but what it it felt like was that the uh, the offense was sort of sluggish and, and moving like they were in uh, almost in in some sort of uh, water or, or something. They were they were just hard. It felt like everything was laborious, and in the second half it felt like from the basically from the get go. Everything was quick. Everything was sharp, and every all the players were receiving passes, looking upfield, making moves, one-two touch passing. It felt a lot better. So I was just interested. Do you guys feel like there was any obvious tactical shift, or was this more of a um, Lopetegui's own kind of uh, uh, just man management, convincing people to to play harder? I think it was very simple things. So, for example. Um, we didn't like a lot of them were also just dominoes of better defending defensive decisions. Um, we right. we didn't really see a good high press until the second half, and as soon as we started doing it, Girona started to cough up possession. That led to better chances. Um, <clears throat> doing better work defensively meant catching Girona on the break and getting just better better opportunities, higher percentage opportunities on the counter attack. Uh, Marcelo, who to me, him and Bale were the two in the first half when the team couldn't really create, were the two trying to do things and actually were able to create just based on three key passes. Uh, I think Marcelo had two, Bale had three in the first half, or maybe it was two apiece. Uh, but also, Mar- Marcelo's crossing from the left, as bad as he was defensively, his crossing from the left was um, was really dangerous and, and almost always accurate and well-weighted. Bale's low crosses always dangerous um, and both of them they continue to do that in the second half and Asensio to me um, and one of the things that he did differently in the in the second half was instead of kind of playing that simple pass which seems counterintuitive to think this way but it really really helped um, he would just dribble through like two or three players and break Girona's line completely so that kind of ingenuity is the stuff you need to kind of get yourself going. And I think a lot of that was just picked up from the better work defensively, which had a ton of dominoes. Um, and, you know, I, I noted that Bale and Benzema both made the same run a couple times in the first half where one of them could have could have dragged the defense a bit and, and spread it a bit. And they, they did that better in the second half. Um, and again, I think that in addition to the early penalty in the second half 
kind of just sucked the life out of Girona and we grew into the game. And it's really, really hard um, against this Real Madrid team who holds the ball so well in the final third to get yourself, claw yourself back in the game without actually just conceding more. So I think all of that was, yeah, was again, little changes, but it made a yeah. huge difference. Yeah, I agree with Keon. Um, I think, I don't think there was a huge schematic change like Keon was saying. And I think, I think there's a danger. I think like, not not just in this game. I'm I'm speaking like more generally that when we see results swing like this, we really want to take a lot away from it. Like there must have been huge huge reasons. And I mean, I think sometimes that's true, but I think it was pretty simple here. We had a penalty pretty soon in the first half, and then after that, um, we we had a really good counterattack off a uh, Hirona defensive breakdown. Isco threads a brilliant through ball into Gareth Bale one versus one, and game overs. Like after that, it was it. And if you look at like our, our expected goals chart, the four big spikes. Like we, we really only had four huge chances and that were from the four goals. And two were penalties and two were really good. Like one was a tap in for Benzema and then the other was a bail one versus one. So it was just in in particular moments in that second half, we got our chance and we took it and that ended the game. And that's not this I'm not saying I'm not trying to like put put that in a negative light. Like like I said earlier in the podcast, that's needed, especially this early when Lopetegui is trying to implement his philosophy. But I, I personally think that in this game it was as simple as that, and and that's what led to the victory. We also should note like that, the second no the third goal, the one that Bale scored, the one the beautiful Isco through ball. Oh yeah, um, Kaylor started it. Like yep. it was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a. Uh, his I, distribution has improved massively. Since I mean, since the here. preseason, like his distribution has been incredible, and I wonder how much of that comes into play between him and Courtois. Courtois yeah. is clearly an inferior uh, player when it comes to distributing, um, especially with the ball at his feet. Not so much and with that, his hands. And that is a real thing for Lopetegui. Like we yeah, were discussing stylistic dif- differences between him and Zidane. I don't think Zidane would have cared about that that much, but Lopetegui wants that like most positional play coaches like sorry didn't want to send Courtois away but he accepted that it was an inevitability and look who he went and signed he signed Kepa one of the best keepers in in La Liga over the past couple of seasons with the ball at his feet like this is something that these types of coaches want they really value Pep signing Ederson has shown that it can really make a huge huge impact Liverpool has then went for Ali Son Remember, Klopp is also a positional play coach, even though he approaches it in a different way. It's this is not just like just Courtois on the bench, like just for the hell of it. Like these little things we're talking about, these things we're emphasizing it because it matters to the coach, and so therefore it matters to the results on the field. And so just keep that in mind when you're looking at this debate. Like it's not just about shot stopping; it's just not about claiming crosses. The modern goalkeeper has to be able to pass from the ball accurately too, because that is how all these modern talented coaches want to play now. Having this level of competition also for the spot, it's something that hasn't Madrid really hasn't had in a long time. It's very possible that it'll spur both players to get better and improve and and you know get better at the things that they need to get better at. Like Courtois, for example, like you know, if I were him, I'd be worried that he's not going to see as much game time because of this. So I would begin really focusing on his distribution and work on work with the ball at his feet more. Uh, and if he could improve that, that'd be a huge for Real Madrid. And then Kaylor, the same basic idea. You just have to keep you know, focusing on, on what you can do better. That's what you, what happens when you have 
players that want to compete with each other for a spot in the team. Uh, and it's one of the another you know reason on top of everything else that uh, I think this is a very good signing. I mean, you know, we we saw Andrew Gaffney today said I don't really understand why Real Madrid went out and got Courtois. GK you know, keeper was in the position that there was a problem with. But I I actually do beg to differ with that. I think that uh, the keeper position was a place that Madrid had a problem, not because Kaler is bad or that Kaler's need to be replaced, but because there wasn't someone pushing Kaler to get better and improve. Uh, and there was an issue at depth, right? Um, there were a couple uh, times in this match where Kaler came down hard and had me thinking, well, I'm glad we have a, we have a really good keeper on the bench who can come in uh, and, and who I would be happy to start in not just a, a kind of throwaway match against in, in the beginning of the season against Girona, but like if Kaler got injured for the rest of the season, like let's say Torres ACL or something, Madrid's in position to to have you know a similarly strong team going forward. So that's that's you know I think that's why this is such a strong signing, especially also because of the price. But uh, so yeah, that's sort of um, that's sort of where I am on this. We heard a lot of talk in the commentary from Phil uh, and and Ray about this, uh, and it was funny because Phil would bring it up and Ray. Um, uh, would sort of roll his eyes. You can kind of maybe hear it through the TV and rolling his eyes, being like, "Ah, I don't want to talk about this." <laughs> um, yeah, but well, and also because uh, Ray Ray uh, really does not want anyone to take his the the place of his beloved child, Kaylor. Truly, <laughs> true. It's his beautiful adult son. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, to people to people who say Ray Hudson is like biased towards Barcelona or like he's biased against Real Madrid. I have never seen a person defend Isco and Kaylor Navas as much as this man. He Marcelo, is deep yeah. and Marcelo. He he is the biggest fanboy of 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 some of these Real Madrid players of anyone I've ever seen in the he world. He just loves like, football, man. He like, just loves the yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah, that's the most that's why I love listening to Ray so much because it's so obvious how much he loves the sport and his his love and passion you can feel it when he's what when he's comment, calling games. That's why I really enjoy Ray's commentary. I wish he could do. I wish he would commentate every sport that I watch. He's one of the greats. Him and, and Andres Cantor um, from uh, T- uh, Telemundo. Is that the who, Argentina I, dude. Yeah, dude, the guy from um, the guy who called the 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 guy who called in English some of the World Cup games. Um, real standout. <laughs> Huge fan of his. Yeah. Um, so I I think that it's it's a little bit ridiculous that we haven't brought him up yet, but this this team, this team will um, thrive and it will ride on the back of its Welsh dragon. Gareth Bale having another fantastic game, um, really what is impressive, most impressive to me among many many other issues is how consistent it feels like Bale is playing. It seems like he's been freed. <laughs> and is uh is now free to to be the killer that we knew he could be yeah i mean we talked about his kind of unchained mental state last podcast and we're going to talk about it again today and hopefully weekly uh, just the fact that he looks confident he looks fresh he looks very well equipped to beat people on the flank and put in like his someone meant i don't know if someone mentioned this to me oh it was in the mailbag written mailbag last week which i did I don't know if it was a patron question or somebody else, and they said who scored has one of Bale's crossing as a weakness. And to me, that was like, it's Same. forget who scored or whatever. It's just like what? He, 
his crossing is is underrated in football. Like it's and it's been underrated for years now. Like he can whip a crossing with the most, like just so much accuracy and the weight on the pat on the cross too is like almost perfect. And his low crosses is one of the most dangerous things I've seen in the final third from anyone in football. Um, in that outside of the boot pass, like with his oh, left, is just is unreal. Um, and he. Again, like him and Marcelo t- were the only two really creating anything offensively um, in the first half. And then the second half, they just kind of peaked. And, and Bale in transition like that is just is devastating to deal with. He also had, you know, the most completed dribbles on the team. Um, this this version of Bale is just is, is fantastic. Oh, I think you were the one that said this is Bale's team now. Yeah, I, I mean... He knows it. Everyone else knows it, and that's the key. I mean, this reminds me a lot of 2015-16 Gareth Bale, and just how clinical, and and just how like how much of a game changer he, he is at, at his best when when he's mentally sharp and when he, when he's in this mindset when he knows he's the man when he knows that. The success of the of this team largely rides on his shoulders. He thrives under that, and it's a great characteristic to like. To be clear, it's it's absolutely. one of those. This is the guy we need. Like, if there isn't that people on the market, which which there really weren't. I mean, you, you could argue Gonzalo Higuain and stuff. That's another discussion, but there wasn't really that that Mbappe type guy like on the market that you say comes in and replaces Ronaldo. Then you have to look inside your house. And when you're looking at inside your house, there's no better person to, to, to replace a character like Cristiano Ronaldo than Gareth Bale. I mean, they're two different type of people, two different type of personalities. But when it comes to shouldering the load, when it comes to taking the responsibility, when it comes to delivering in the clutch, they are very similar players. And we've seen this is not just this season, the 2015-16 season when Ronaldo was out, you know, towards the end of that La Liga campaign, there was like this three this three game period where Bale's put the put put the team on his back and he just carried them and he just won us games out of nowhere. And he's he's I wouldn't say he quite did that versus Hirona, but we are going to see that this season. He was he was very impressive today. And it, it he he knows it. Like it, I, I don't want to call it arrogant and cocky, but you can see a little bit of that in his eyes. And I think cocky Bale or at least slightly cocky Bale is the best Bale because then he just unleashes himself. I, I think sometimes Bale can be his own worst enemy because he, he, he feels like sometimes he just needs to sit back and be a passenger. And Keon's talked about this sometimes. Like, I just want Bale to cut inside and just release a shot from range on goal because that'll just open him up. And and I think one, now that Bale is in that mindset and everyone on the team now sees him as that guy, he this is his, this is going to be his only mindset. This is going to be the only player he Hell is yeah. now. And <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm loving it. I if he can stay fit even 75 65 75% of the season, we our, our chances of winning a title or a trophy this season are are very strong. Yeah, I agree with that. Um I also want to say shout out to Kareem Benzema, who I I got to tell you guys, I think he's looked he's looked great. Um I thought he was really good today. Uh he was what I what I'm what I'm seeing out of him that uh, I I don't I didn't see last season and maybe it's just the confidence issue but what I what I was seeing out of him was this belief in his abilities and the the both the interest and and you know uh, to get to the right spot to take his shots 
uh, and to uh, to execute passes and to 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 take people on and believe in his own believe in his own uh, ability is huge. And he was he was incredible, I thought tonight. And in you know two goals to boot, uh, well taken penalty. I mean finishing that that you know perfectly platter made cross from Bale. Uh, he is he's looking like the Kareem Benzema from a while back from when when he was that killer um, that that Madrid could ca- count on to score goals and buckets of them. And I think that if Bale and he can play this way this way, they both have a shot at at 20 plus goals this season. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there are a lot of games where Benzema will play um like you like and and we won't and a lot of people will find it difficult to know what he did on the pitch because there are very his like stat line is is a is a lot of nothing um and he doesn't have any i guess goals or assists and and you know but to 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 us like you know he does a lot of certain things well and i think this game you could like just clearly see he had a good game and I, you know the the penalty was really nice by the way like it was it was a it was a nice penalty um the positioning for the finish but also other than that you know three key passes he was he was constantly moving like he looks sharp to me um i don't know what this means for the season i'm very cautious to make any predictions because i just have no idea but um i'd say like his confidence level you know if if he even if you measure it alongside bail it it actually looks quite high like it it, they both look really sharp right now they do uh, that's why I wanted to bring it up because uh, you know one if Madrid is going to be able to replace the the not the actual presence of Ronaldo obviously and you know but but just the general statistics the only way it's going to work is if they can distribute that load throughout the team and one of the best ways for that to happen is for Benzema to go back to being in addition to this creative kind of false nine almost is the way he plays. Um, to go back to also being a a goal poaching maniac, you know, one of these people who, I mean, very well taken on the on the final goal of the game, uh, and and very confidently taken penalty. I mean, if he can if he can start converting more, the ch- the chances that he was missing last season, uh, or not even getting in position to take, then that is a big weight off of Madrid's shoulders to like because at that point, if Benzema can score or create twenty plus goals. I mean, I think that Madrid is looking in a much better position in terms of uh, replacing the output from Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, it's 50 goals, but if suddenly what we're talking about is Benzema, you know, scoring a big chunk of that, then it's a much better look for the rest of the team. If we can yeah. replace Penaldo's 50 goals with, <laughs> with 50, 50 goals from Penalmos, I think we'll be, we pretty much oh have Oh my God, yeah. yeah. So the, the last note that I had in my notebook, in addition to saying, I in addition to shouting out to Rafa Varane, please come back, King, we need you. Because I just, I, I actually like Nacho on the flank more than I like him in the center. Um, but yeah, in, in, in addition to that, I wanted to say, so two penalties, two different penalty kick takers. The first person to take it was Sergio Ramos. And I got to tell you guys, I was nervous going watching him walk up there. Yeah, it's funny. Like, no matter how much we we all unanimously and universally agree that Sergio Ramos is one of the biggest game players in club history, has an ice in his veins. There's always this, like, uneasiness to when he steps up to it for some reason. 
But he, I mean, he converts that one against Bayern back in the day. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess so did Ronaldo in that same shootout. But also with Spain, I think he's missed a couple. Maybe, but Um, he always likes those panencas too, like the little chip down the middle. I will say the only thing, like I, I'm okay with him taking it because I, I guess I have confidence in him taking it to an extent. Uh, I like the idea of giving it to Benzema or Bale because I actually really believe in the confidence that it gives to those strikers that you'll need for your team just to rack up the goals for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I if I can just quickly add about Benzema, um, th- there's there's been, I think I've seen this a couple of times, like I received direct messages about it. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen in 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 the comments on some articles about how now people want Benzema to essentially just like it, it it's sort of an absurd criticism in 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 when 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 I really think about it, it's like this they're asking like why is Benzema still dropping deep? Why is why is he still linking play? He just needs to get in the box and focus on scoring goals. And I guess my retort to that would be if we're in our own half and we're struggling to break through, do you want Benzema to just be sitting like all the way on the other side of the pitch in the box while the team is trying to build play? I mean, that that doesn't really make that much sense. Uh, like Benzema like helping in like the defensive and middle thirds, helping us progress play doesn't really affect his ability to score. In fact, in a positional play system, especially under Lopetegui's teams, he he loves forwards that get involved. And we saw this game. We were struggling to to break through our own defensive third a lot of the time. Benzema was crucial in a lot of moments when he'd just pop off. He'd, he'd run, run away from his center backs, you know, run behind a, a central midfielder, just pull away into space, provide an outlet, rotate the ball to the other side, and he gets us moving again. That is extremely valuable. It, forwards are expected, you know, in, in, in possession-based systems, in, in a team that's going to be as heavy... In, in terms of the passes that we're making a pass-heavy system, we need Benzema to do these sorts of things. It just doesn't simply disappear just because he needs to score. And it doesn't make sense for us to be, like I said before, like it, it's kind of absurd to say that we're trying to build out from the back. Benzema, what he stands in an offside position in the box, doesn't make any sense, right? Like when we're in the final third, then it's about Benzema making the correct movements and you know, attacking attacking the box in, in different angles and, and connecting with the finish and all of that. But otherwise, I his role doesn't actually need to change that much. And I just think that's something that needs to be addressed because I saw that like that was something that was like a narrative or like this this line of thought that was developing. And I see where it's coming from, but like when you break it down, I'm not sure it makes that much sense. I have basically nothing else to add. Um I I oh my the meaning meaning to get into that but I'm glad that so I'm glad that we got that um we got that out there in terms of that so um I don't have anything else that I specifically wanted to talk about in this match um I did like I said wanted to shout out Rafa Varane man we miss you he's so good um even that little bit of time he was on everything just felt felt more calm <laughs> in Madrid's back line um I know he's not. Um, quite up to pace yet, but get there quickly, man. Please, <laughs> we miss you. I had a question. That Gareth Bale free kick that he had to retake, was that in? No, it was almost in. Okay, because I, I think Ray had said it like went in or something. And yeah, I was and trying then, to, con- yeah. It was definitely on saw- the line, but I'm pretty sure it didn't yeah. go in. Yeah, they gave us like the angle on the goal line and like the keeper made- 
pretty good stop. Okay. But, I mean, so that is, I guess, the last thing before we do questions. I wanted to mention that this is our first, um, you know, say what you will about about other other stuff, but, you know, Ronaldo did kind of dominate those free kicks, and um, I think all of us have said for a while that it'd be nice to watch, you know, take, ha- allow some of the other people who are very good at free kicks um, okay, to occasionally go for it, you know, and that first shot from Bale reminded me why it's so exciting to have Bale taking the free kicks. He is a very, very gifted free kick taker. Yeah. I mean, there weren't, wasn't there a time where if Bale was on the field and if the free kick was in the right, he would take it if Ronaldo was on the field. But then again, that was like not a very occurring sample size because it, Bale didn't really play much last season. But Yeah, I mean, I, I think Ronaldo did actually do a decent job of sharing free kicks with Bale. It, but... We like like Keon said, we didn't see that enough because of the injury, and it's also because Ronaldo didn't really share it with other players. I think Bale was the only one he kind of saw as as an equal when it came to taking free kicks. I mean, also like we we just didn't take that many direct free kick free kicks as a team over time in the Zidane era. Actually, I think in in 2017 18, I was like going through like a while back like because you have to like individually count this because they just they don't have like statistics on direct free kicks for whatever reason i think ronaldo only took like 13 free kicks in the league like that is that is a very very small amount compared to what he used to take like i think you go back three or four seasons he takes like 50 60 free kicks so like that just decreased as a whole like as as we chose to put cross in on those in those positions and have him delivered into the box i don't know if that will change under lopetegui with you know, if the ball's like 25, 30 yards out, that Bale will take all of them. But that's just, I think, something interesting to to point out because, like, in the discussion, I think sometimes that's missed. I would like to see Crows take more free kicks as well. Crows needs to go. I mean, all these guys, there there is a a wealth of different options for um, for this Real Madrid team. And I would have liked to see when Bale, Bale's first free kick was pulled back, I would have liked to see Isco take that one, actually, because Bale went on, went low for the next kick, which is a, a good idea. Um, obviously, crashed into the wall a little bit. But I would have liked to see Isco take that one because he also, another very good free kick taker, folks. <laughs> Lots of them on Real Madrid. Yeah. We this, is where I start, this is where I start missing Hamas. Yeah. Um, all right. So unless you guys have anything else, I want to just jump into our questions. We don't have that many today. Um, but yeah, we'll talk, you know, take your questions now. Um, unless Keon, you have anything else from your notebook? Let's do the questions. All right. Sheikh Atiri asks us, um, Phil Schoen mentioned that there are reports of Asensio picking up some bad habits. What is that about? Okay. Yeah. I wanted to talk about this also. This is something that I, you know, literally said, what the hell are you talking about, Phil, out loud <laughs> to no one by myself? But I, he said something like, um, those reports are that Isco and Isco and uh, Asensio are too close. Uh, and it just kind of went un- undiscussed. <laughs> and Ray like came back and was like, what were you talking about? And apparently, have you guys heard anything about this? I haven't heard anything about this. But apparently there's some reports that people are worried that Isco and Asensio are uh, – getting too close and, and, you know, picking up Asensio is like, I don't know, he, he compared them to like Ronaldinho and Messi. I, I just, I, I, I'm pretty lost. So I, I'm going to hand this off to one of you guys. So I, I have not seen anything like that, but 
I'm just going to guess it has something to do with, like, Isco's decision-making and not releasing the ball quick enough or, like, that usual narrative that goes on and that a sense who's picking that up. Or maybe it's some lifestyle thing, but whatever it is, like, it's it's stupid, like, to put it, like, lightly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if you have any. I know, like, like when I heard it, I just thought it was an unnecessary thing to bring up, which seems silly and just something that'll just spur unnecessary discussion. The only thing I found was a report in Sport, the great mm-hmm. Sport, the unbiased and ever one thousand percent true. That we need to one thousand percent true and would never ever attempt to disrupt any Real Madrid um, dressing room stuff reported yesterday that there is anger in Real Madrid's dressing room and um, Asensio was one of the most annoyed in the entire locker room because of Ronaldo and Zidane and Kovacic leaving. So That Asensio is angry about it? That's yeah. so weird. Uh, whatever. Well, I, I did see some stats actually by um, Vignesh Bellu, who's a Real Madrid fan, um, decent guy on Twitter, um, he wrote an article about how Real Madrid's attack is going to look like, what is it going to look like without Ronaldo? And essentially, it was what we expected, right? Bale and Benzema's numbers rose when Ronaldo wasn't playing last season. Small sample size alert, though. But something that interesting was Asensio, Lucas Vasquez's numbers, like, they doubled when Ronaldo was on the pitch. So, like, I don't know if that's why Asensio was angry, but there is evidence that shows that Asensio was actually a better player when Ronaldo was on the pitch. So, like, or maybe it was just the fact that, like, Real Madrid just lost two very good players and, like, a great coach, and I'm just reading far too much into it. That's my feeling, but... This great report from Sport, this is one sentence in it. Um, It says, They have won the last three Champions Leagues and are not happy at predictions that Atletico Madrid might finish above them this season. That's it. That's just... Well, that they're angry because some people have predicted Atletico. So this is, or this could just be all complete, like just a complete lie, and we're just talking about it, like for no reason. Uh, it is like they're not like oh, if, if yeah. anybody thinks that we're serious for one second, just to disclaimer <laughs> is this is a joke. There's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, this yeah. is a joke. It's a this joke. is a joke. I mean, sport. I mean, yeah, I guess we have to explain this, but Sport is a Catalan Barcelona-based newspaper that has a history of just saying absolute bullshit to mess with Real Madrid in the same way that, you know, Marca and Oswald occasionally do the same thing with Barcelona. They, they Both of these the, the papers, these papers really do have uh, an editorial slant, I think is a very nice way of saying it. And that's exactly what's going on here. Yeah. Um, By the way, I don't know if it was Sport or Mundo Deportivo, which are basically of the same mold that when we had that very controversial but correct penalty against Juve last season, in the paper the morning after, yeah. they photoshopped it to make it that look... Was- that was so good, dude. They, yeah. yeah, they said um, uh, the the robbery of the century, uh, and they photoshopped it so that uh, Lucas Vasquez didn't, but did appear to not be touching the guy as he went down. Yeah, and they also there's also I think they're also famous for photoshopping Ronaldo's abs, or maybe that was Chiringuito. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> How do you photoshop Ronaldo's abs? Are, he already they, has like, them. They did this like weird blurring effect. It was like it, it was honestly disturbing. Like it just looked like his like like his abs were just out of whack, and like they were weirdly like like blurred and like sloshed around. It was amazing. It was it was a disturbing sight. 
Anthony Lombardi asks us, um, take some hot takes of how many goals you think Benz uh, can get this season. Also, uh, can you guys highlight details of why Benzema is doing better without Ronaldo? Like, is it more open space, formation, et cetera? Um, my, I said I think Benzema can score 20-plus goals this season um, if he keeps, keeps playing like that. I said that. I, th- I stand by that. Um, in terms of I'm, – I'm interested to know what you guys think about that. Um, I – I think it's a little bit of a small sample size, though, to talk about whether he's really going to be better without Ronaldo or what better even means. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for the the point to, like, what Benz is going to score in my attacker's preview before the season, which you should check out for my reasoning, I outlined it way better there than than I'm going to be able to articulate here, is I think 15 to 20 goals is what I think he's going to hit. I think my estimate is more conservative than Keon in games. And again, like the reasons I are, are in that article, like I, I can't really explain it better than, than than what I wrote there. And yeah, I agree with Gabe about the sample size issue. And I don't know, man. Like I don't I don't know if I really buy this idea that Ronaldo like held Benzema back. Like that's such a strong, like really intensely negative way of portraying their relationship. I mean, the fact is, it's a team game, and relationships like on the pitch in football are about give and take and players who have the best qualities should have that enhanced and you try to mesh that with someone else who has qualities that like either enhances that or serves another part of the game that the other players qualities don't really touch and and all of that was kind of what i saw in ronaldo and benzema over the years and the simple fact of the matter is ronaldo is the greatest goal scorer that has ever lived so I don't know why you'd expect Benzema to be the main guy in Real Madrid who everyone was crossing to, who everyone was passing to. It had to be Ronaldo. And to make the team successful, some people had to adjust to that. And in my opinion, it made Benzema a better player. Benzema yeah, came too. here as a pure number nine, and he's ended his, he's come to the, the end, end of his career as one of the best all-around forwards of all yeah. time. Had he been yeah. the main guy, I don't think we would have remembered him that way. So I... I find it hard to say that he necessarily held him back. I think it's fair to say that Benzema probably would have scored more, but there were other parts of his game that were enhanced by yeah. having Ronaldo there. Totally. Yeah, fifteen to twenty is reasonable to me. I don't. I don't think anywhere else I've I've actually said what I think about what his tally will be anywhere. But uh, I this this question of uh, why is he better or is he even better without Ronaldo was weird to me and it's kind of unanswerable right now because we've never seen it. But um, I guess if one thing is that Ronaldo's presence is not the is not something that uh, who was that? Someone in the back. Logan. That's, That's my Logan. dog. I thought it was a baby. I swear, I thought I had to look. I had to look over my shoulder, and make sure Luca's in bed. There's a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm completely lost my train of thought. Yeah. So Benzema. Um, I, 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 Ronaldo's presence is not something that caused Benzema to miss really, really clear-cut chances last season, you know? So, like, how do you account for that? And what does that have to do with Ronaldo being on the pitch or not when Benzema really yeah. missed some big sitters last season? Um, having said that, I think also some of it is just down to Benzema having the realization that he needs to be better. And he was on the record this summer saying, I need to do better this season because I just wasn't that good. Um, so maybe him having a wake-up call on his own is is something. But also just the fact that he has to be a nine now. 
And so he's going to be in goal scoring positions a lot this season. Um, and being, because yeah. he wasn't a nine last season. And really, I mean, in theory. And But now he will be. So that stuff, I guess, will make a difference for him. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Sajid Riaz um, has some questions about our um uh, has some questions about Real Madrid, or managing Madrid itself, <laughs> which is fine. Um, Sajid says, um, "What is this base? What's the setup with respect to us? You know, actually going to the press box and Baldebebas and stuff? Um, are uh, is Real, uh, managing Madrid invited and sponsored as press members to attend certain Real Madrid games, or is it a self-sponsored thing that you guys randomly decide to do?" Um, well, Kian, we we are credentialed. We have press credentials to go to to like to go to Real Madrid games. We don't go to all of them. We don't go to many of them, <laughs> um, but we are credentialed. That I think I don't know if that's the question. Like they're not flying us across the uh, country in the ocean to go, yeah, you know, watch the team. But um, so when we go, it's because Kian has made a trip to Madrid to work on his book and uh, cover some games and go to Valdebebas. That's the main reason we go, um, <laughs> just because you, we happen to be there. I think it's a fair question because I think a lot of people don't actually understand what our relationship is like with yeah. Vox Media and SB Nation. Like Vox Media owns like the site. Vox Media is a huge like journalistic organization. I'm pretty sure you all have heard of it, especially if you live in the United States. And they have given us a level of credibility that allows us to have these press passes to go to boxes and stuff like that. And But that's as far as it goes, really. Like the idea of SB Nation is to be fan run and like we make our decisions we decide how things are going to be obviously there's people higher up the chain that direct us here and there but largely we decide what we're going to do we're not sponsored by anyone to attend games we spend our own time we spend our own money to to you know to to buy materials to make these trips to to write articles like that's all us like and most of the time we don't get paid that much really to do it i think we got we we got we got it got better over time, um, but if you look at some of the smaller smaller blogs, they a lot of these guys just do it for free. This is this is a fan run thing. Yeah, it is. It really is, um, which is why we're doing this podcast. And you know, in addition to other stuff, that's that's why we have asked for your help um, and and to to toss us a little bit of money because that really does help us um, spend more time doing this. Um, yeah, do you have anything to add to that? Or? <laughs> Uh, um, not necessarily, no. I mean, just, um, Real Madrid doesn't, definitely doesn't have us on a, uh, a phone tree and says, hey, please come to our game. But we, <laughs> we just, we go when we can and we can go to every practice and game because we are accredited. So, um, but I, I mean, I'll be there quite often this season, may possibly monthly at least. Um, wow. Yeah. But, uh, I, I guess I'll be there in uh, three days, actually. But uh, one thing I am excited about, I guess, is yeah, the dude. fact that uh, we'll get to see Vinicius at Castilla, which is a very polarizing subject because a lot of people don't think he should be there. But the good news is that Castilla is going to have some record attendance this season <laughs> just to see him <laughs> play. Um, and it'll be fun going there. But yeah. Um, I don't know how to answer Sajid's second question, which is about trying to switch from futsal to um, 11 aside, other than to say that in futsal, there's a way less running. Like, that's a big one. 
It's a completely <laughs> different sport. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where this question came from. It's oh, yeah, kind yeah. of out of nowhere, but it's a completely different game. So, like, I don't know if you guys grew up playing in North America, but in Canada, essentially, we have two seasons. We have summer season and winter season. And then yeah. in the winter, you go from outdoor, you, from indoor to seven aside, six in the goalie, and it is it's really fun, but. It's a completely really different sport because... It has walls around it. The ball doesn't go out of bounds and stuff. Well, there is that version. I played the other version where they actually have lines and right. stuff and you do throw wins. But it's a lot of short passes. There's a lot of more technical ability required. And uh, it's shorter halves. So like we did 30-minute halves, like hockey subs coming in, like five switch changes at a time. So it's like it's fun, but it's short. And that's why... Uh, I hate I hated that part of it. I don't know if there's anything. It's a different sport, Sajid. It's a different sport. Yeah. All I'm sport. all I'm gonna say is I like playing futsal more than actual football. Yeah, it's futsal is really fun. It's, it's really, really fun. fun. Yeah. That I I totally agree with that. Um, last question is what happened to all the original MM podcasters? Um, Josh, um, we get this question occasionally. If you want Josh, we need to. I like Josh is around. He he. Um, Josh is in med school. Um. He's, you know, he's coming to my wedding. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah. I mean, Josh, uh, the original MM podcast is with me and Josh. So if, I don't know who else you're interested in talking about. Mike, um, maybe. Mike, yeah, I miss. I do miss Mike. Mike mm. is wonderful. Um, uh, and um, yeah, so Mike and Lucas used to come on um a fair amount. He's now brought back on. He's done a couple shows with Keon. Um, but yeah, I mean. The reason that you know, the show's evolved to, to being me, uh, to being the three of us, and then Keon doing a, a lot of really good like other interviews, um, and I like, I really like where we have it now. Um, that's, I mean, I don't think there's much. <laughs> much I, I mean, and the answer is like we got stuff going on. Like, like I mean, I think the first, the answers to the first question like answered it because, like I said, like we're fans who do this on our own time, and at some point, like people have to like leave or take like. You know these breaks because they have other other stuff to tend to like i'm in college right. now so i still have like i i can still like carve out these portions of free time but even last last season i had a lot less time like as my course has become more difficult and a lot of people have jobs they have to like they have to make money they have to eat <laughs> so i mean it, it's the lineups will probably chop and change over time as yep. as as it needs to as as people like have their own stuff to do yeah I don't know if you have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we are. I mean, we are. We're fans. But we also are journalists. So don't like. It's not. This isn't to say that we don't take. Well, this speak for yourself, it. Gabe. I. I. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> be too, too. I don't want to be too boastful here. <laughs> Being a journalist is extremely not boastful. It's literally just talking about what we do. <laughs> it's like you don't have to go to school for. Like you don't have to like. To be a journal, like being a journalist is a really hard, tough, important career. Um, there's no licensing board that regulates who the hell gets to call themselves a journalist, though. And you know, I I've always said that what managing Madrid is is a place for people to uh, to be journalists and cover the team, and and then we do this very seriously. This isn't just stuff we we kind of shit out or whatever. Like this is serious stuff that we we take very seriously. So good point. I'm changing my Twitter bio right now. <laughs> Um, Esa Hariri asks, last question. Esa Hariri asks us, um, hey guys, I know you've been asked about positional play a lot, but can you point out 
the main differences between that and possession football, like the one played by Guardiola. Um, on the same note, how do you think uh, uh, Lovatigi will play based on your understanding of positional play and managers who use it against coaches that love possession like Pep or those who love pos- uh, to press like Klopp or Sarri? Will J-Lo willingly lose possession to them? So I'm guessing this one's for me. Um, okay, well, I could spend like hours talking about this, but we've already been talking for hours, so... Let me see how I can answer this quickly. Um, so the main difference is, well, it suffice to say that Guardiola's interpretation of positional play has changed as he's moved from team to team. Um, and even this season with Manchester City, with Benjamin Mendy coming to side, returning from injury, he's changing his tactics every day. Um, but in a general sense, what he's done with Manchester City and post-13-14 with Bayern is he's played with inverted fullbacks and he's kept his his structure more rigid than he did at Barcelona to, to be better protected against counterattacks and he, he he's played he's had his players more in between the lines rather than more fluid and deeper like they were at Barcelona so that's very very rough description of guard, what Guardiola does with his positional play um i think it's probably I, important to note on too also that part of the reason why it has been a little bit different with each team it goes to is because they they're accustomed to it differently at each club so mm-hmm. in barcelona like it was much easier to implement with bayern they had some variation of juego de posicion implemented under van hall years prior so they had a mm-hmm. little bit of it where at Manchester city he was like kind of starting from scratch trying to yeah they had none implement. i mean that that's an yeah. excellent point and People who say like Pep doesn't adapt, he's rigid. I mean, like his philosophy is the same, but he is he he's very like he adjusts a lot. And I think Lopetegui, he he to kind of answer that Lopetegui in a press conference before the game today said that he will adjust his tactics based on the opposition and based on the way his players play. So I mean, all I can do is look at what he did with Spain and tell you at the moment like what what's different between him and Guardiola is I think. Lopetegui is less vertical and his his team is more fluid than Guardiola is so like like we saw versus Hatafe, that was very much how Spain played a lot of side to side switching of to, to either flank to progress the ball and then we all know Isco had an extremely fluid role you know on in Spain because there were a lot of technical players but perhaps we get more rigid and structured because Real Madrid's slightly different I don't know but I think that's as much as I can say yeah. right now we'll have to wait and see really and then how will how will Lopetegui play against players that have position or like to press? I don't know. Honestly, I have I, I don't know. Like Lopetegui said, he'll adjust, but I don't know if that means he's going to adjust in yeah. giving the ball away, or like just make slight adjustments, like with how he positions certain players. Like I'm gonna assume we're he's we're always going to try to dominate games, and even against teams that press, we're still gonna play out from the back. But, yeah. you know, don't hold me to that. We yeah. we honestly don't know much about how Lopetegui likes to do things with club sides because the last one he managed was Porto, and that was like four years ago. I can't picture him deviating from it, to be honest. I can't. Like, with Zidane, you, you could. But with Lopetegui, I really can't because just just from what we know, how he's played with Spain and, and Real Madrid, and the personnel is, is similar in the sense that it's, it's packed with midfield brainiacs who are essentially equipped to play this kind of scheme where 
intelligent technical midfielders who can occupy every zone of the pitch and and understand how to switch switch the play and keep possession and counter press like it's built for it so i guess where i would be worried in this scenario is like and again this is very early in the season so we don't know but girona pressed us and we were very uncomfortable just facing that high press you know what i mean and and we saw jurgen club just absolutely completely unnerve guardiola's backline in the champions league like they had zero answer for that press um as and this is a Guardiola scheme and like this is what he's known for like it's um and he really struggled the second half second leg he was obviously a lot better but um you know it's something that I know it's really early in the season and we don't know but this question from Essa is actually really interesting to me because this is a scenario we're likely going to face at some point and how we deal with it is an unknown to me and I'm interested to know how we do deal with it all right, that is your show for this week. Kian, do you want to do some patron shout-outs? Yeah, let's do it. Um, uh, as you all know by now, patreon.com slash managingmadrid is where you go to get rewards. You get guaranteed responses to your questions. You get access to bonus shows. You get access to our weekly loan tracker podcast where we uh, we talk about the Real Madrid's players on loan and Castilla and also our bonus midweek show which we're going to break down Champions League games midweek games Copa del Rey games um, so we're up to three to five podcasts a week and only one of them are free so if you want access please go to patreon.com slash managing Madrid and um, you get different awards so one of your awards if you pledge ten dollars or more is you get a specific shout out on the podcast shout out to Sergio Monleon Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Kohut, Nick DeStefane, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Salvin Adolfo Chamali Perez, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavronakis, Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Nick Ribeiro, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lext, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obade, and Daniel Smith. And shout out, I heard um, Vicky Cowan. Shout out, Vicky. You yeah. roll. Um, Vicky, we will bring you back on the show soon. We'll yes. That back. Welcome back to the country. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks. Um, we will be back. Do you, do you guys have anything to plug this upcoming week? <clears throat> Uh, probably by yeah. yeah just I, yeah. Just follow the site. Go to managementjournal.com because there's a plenty, <laughs> lot of content right now. I uh, have an article coming out. I think tomorrow about a very cool best player ever from previous generation, and I'm not gonna tell you who that is. Nice. Obviously, Lucas Vasquez. <laughs> um, I probably am going to do like a, a, a tactical video or like. I, I don't know if I can say tactical video, but like an analysis like on the player's performance from the Hirona game. Like I'm not sure who it's going to be yet, but it's probably going to be Gareth Bale since he was probably the most impressive player. Um, don't know when that's going to come out. Um, hopefully like tomorrow or the day after. So stay tuned for that, I guess. Awesome. All right, guys. Um, until next week. Alamadi. Alamadi.
Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.